0: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro.
1: Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. I've got three more great guests that I'm very excited to share with you. And the theme for tonight's show is going to be around inside the rope, because we're going to spend a lot of time inside there learning about what goes on and the thought processes that tour players have that, that may be a little bit different from ours. Right? We'll talk about their mental approach and how it's different from maybe how we approach a shot or a situation or adversity, particularly when we find ourselves in a bunker, right? Sometimes we we get a little overwhelmed when we're in there, we get a little upset, a little nervous. Probably not the same for a tour player. We'll talk about that and uh we'll talk about what conversations go on, you know, when in between shots and you're walking in a in a tour event. What are you talking about? What are you what are you talking about with your with your playing partner? What if your playing partner doesn't want to talk? Or maybe the the flip side of that coin, what if they want to talk too much and you're not into it? So we'll talk about all of that. So Who are we going to talk about that with? Well, my first guest tonight is going to be 2013 Senior Open Champion and and one of just the great instructors in the game now, and that's Mark Wiebe. Mark won twice on the regular tour, five times on the Champions Tour, including, the uh, like I say, that Senior Open Championship. He also won the 1986 Colorado Open. He's become a great friend of the show. I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight, and he's going to join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from uh, former tour caddy Andy Lano. Andy was on the bag for nine years with Kenny Perry, 25 years in all when out on the tour. He and uh, Kenny were college teammates at Western Kentucky. In total, Andy caddied in 42 major championships. And when it wasn't Kenny, it was guys like Tom Watson, Nick Faldo, Peter Jacobson, our friends Dave Stockton Jr., and Richard Zirkel. So we'll talk about that. Plus, he also had an opportunity to uh, caddy once for uh, Michelle Wee when when uh, she was out playing against the, the guys on the PGA Tour. We'll talk about that. So really excited to have Andy as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. And then we'll, then we'll wrap up tonight with a return visit from our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. I'm going to get TP's thoughts on the Patrick Reed situation. I know Tom's got some hot takes that he wants to weigh in on, so we'll do that. Let's get some tips from him to, for how to shake off the rust from our golf swings. If it's been in hibernation all winter and we're ready to pull the clubs out, how do we get the rust off of ourselves? So we'll talk about that in a whole lot more when TP joins me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it folks, a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of next on the Teen. As always. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You all know, what uh, great friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence are for me and the show! Please make sure to tell your friends about their shows and to continue to support them. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golftripx.com, and that's a letter X. So golftripx.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. He and his co-host Darren Bunch take you around the country and up into Canada to talk about some of the great places that you can go, stay, and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses you may not be aware of. So go online and check out their podcast at golftripx.com. And Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf, and he's still on hiatus right now, but his show should start back up here sometime in March following March Madness. But you can check out any of his shows from last season. They're available as a podcast over on WLXG.com, and that's ESPN Radio in Lexington, Kentucky. Again, the show is called Backspin Golf, and it's a fantastic listen. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear about what they've got going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20, 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see a 360 degrees.
2: Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambiance around it that makes the golf course.
1: Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they've got up there and to book your stay as well. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their new spring collection out right now, and they feature great new sweaters, polos, and pants. All look fantastic. You're going to see Steve Tricker, Miguel Hanel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Go check it out online at bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code ONTHETE to save 20% at checkout. And, folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and TaylorMade Sim, featuring the Sim driver designed with a radical new head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim Irons have a improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver a distance iron with forge like feel and the Sim Fairway Woods with a low CG to help you hit it higher and the V Steel TM sole to launch it even easier out of any lie. Go get fit for Sim throughout your entire bag and experience going to have on your entire game. Check it out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information about the all-new Sim family. All right, folks, now back in making his eighth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort. Guest line is 2013 Senior Open Champion and now one of the top instructors in the game, and that's Mark Wiebe. Let me remind you a little bit about Mark's background. He's from Seaside, Oregon and grew up in Escondido, California. Played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then transferred to San Jose State. And while at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur and won the 1977 Idaho Amateur as well. He was named a second-team All-American in 1979 at San Jose State. That season, he and Don Levin won the Silverado Invitational in Napa, California. He turned pro in 1980 and started on the PGA Tour in 83. His first career win came at the 1985 uh, Anheuser-Busch Classic. Uh, he beat uh, John Mahaffey in that tournament with a birdie on the first playoff hole. Won again the following year in 86 at the Hardy's Golf Classic. This time by one shot over Kurt Byram, thanks to a, a birdie on the 17th hole during the final round. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the SAS Championship. 2013, he won the Senior Open Championship at Royal Birkdale defeating Bernhard Longer on the fifth playoff hole after a final round, 66. Later on in 2013, he captured the Pacific Links Hawaii Championship in a playoff over Corey Pavin. In all, he's won eight times as a pro, twice on the regular tour, five times on the Champions Tour, plus the 1986 Colorado Open. You can now find him out in Rio Verde, Arizona. And I'm very thrilled Mark is back with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Hey, Chris, thanks, buddy. Eight times. I didn't even, that's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yes, and I'm honored every single one of them, so I appreciate you, my friend. Ah,
2: cool for you to have me on.
1: So, Mark, congratulations. Go out to uh, to your family, your son, on his recent marriage. From what I saw on social media, the reception looked like a heck of a good time.
2: Well, it was awesome. That was so my oldest daughter, uh, is married now. My son is just turned 31, is now married. And, uh, we had a fantastic time. It was out in San Diego on top of a building on a beautiful night. Uh, just was an awesome, uh, it was kind of almost like a little bit of a family reunion for me because, uh, I got to see all my kids in one spot and, you know, one husband, one, future wife and one future husband. So uh, it was cool to see my, my team assembled, so to speak.
1: Mark, since the last time we got together, you were you were in the process of moving from San Jose to Arizona, getting yourself situated out there. Catch us up. What's going on with you? What are your plans for 2020? Well,
2: uh, you know, we're finally settled. We moved out here in October. Uh, everything is good with my family doing great. Um, and now I'm in the process of looking for a spot to get my 70, 30 club, especially the 70, 30 club and inside the ropes back up and running. That was, seemed to really turn out to be a pretty big hit, uh, up in the Bay area there. And, uh, I've had some kids, to, you know, that say, well, you tell me when you're located so we can fly down and do a inside the Ropes." So, um I'm kinda of looking for the right spot. I'm talking to a few places, and you know it's gotta be a it has to be uh to to make it right it has to be a good spot and and really nice short game area because that's kind of uh what we're talking about here when we talk about inside the ropes is more of a scoring slash uh short game expertise is what you become i think just by uh by what all the stuff that we do in the in the session so I'm um, really anxious to get that up and running, and although i'm not in a super hurry because I want it to be the right place um I am anxious to get that going and and see what we can uh if we can make an impact
1: Mark, I want to get your thoughts I want you uh, weighing in as a as a you know, guy that played out on tour for for many many years um the situation going on right now with Patrick Reed. Would that bother you? Would you be, if you were playing against Patrick Reed, whether it was in just a, a regular tournament or, or particularly if you were playing him in match play? would you be watching him more closely than you might otherwise have watched a, a player? Does any of that sort of bother you or is that just sort of, you know what, ho-hum, we're, we're moving on?
2: Um, it's hard to put it in the ho-hum category because, you know, it's pretty egregious, I, I would say. Um, I'm also... A believer in you know giving people a second chance i i don't i hate to contempt condemn someone uh wasn't in his head uh I saw what I saw and didn't like it very much uh hard to believe that goes on actually you know it, it might be hard for some people you know it's you know we've been through this already with other uh situations with different golfers that we saw a golf golfer on top of the world you know have a fall from grace. And you know he's accepted back, and I, I see nothing like why, why we can't do that with everyone. But you know that's a tough situation. You know I I I just that's a hard one for me. I ugh. but you know a hard hard side for me to take because I obviously I, I'm not into going against the rules or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I'm really not an advocate of that. But I'm also an advocate of. You know, we are going to condemn a guy when we don't condemn other people or, you know, what's the deal? So uh, I wish I had a, I wish I was not such a fence post writer on that, but uh, that's a <laughs> tough one. I, I'll, I'll tell you what I did see. I saw some pretty damn good golf out of that guy. And, you know, he's got cameras on him right now that are, uh, if something were to happen now, then kind of like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So, right. uh if I just can't imagine. I mean, honestly, he's got everybody in the world, including TV and cell phones and everything, on him. So I would imagine right now, it, I can't imagine doing anything against the rules. Certainly. So you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But as far as the golf side goes, I would imagine some guys would be a little bit have a hard time because they'd be you can't do that in golf. For instance, on a match play tournament, especially, you can hate the guy you're playing or love the guy you're playing. In either case, he's just the guy I'm playing. I can't put really a emotion on the guy I'm playing. I'm just going to play as hard as I can, and that's the way it is. So I think Patrick Reed's doing that great, by the way. For him to suck it up like this and, and know he's on stage and perform the way he is, wow, amazing. I actually didn't know he was that good. You want know the truth? Is that right? Yeah, I thought he was good. I, I I mean this is a this is tough. This is you know, Tiger went through this adversity where you know, with, with his thing and look at how hard it was, injuries and social life and everything to come back. It it took him years to get back and get uh on top of his game again and here Patrick Lee didn't have an injury, but he's you know, that's a kind of an emotional injury i would say if anything uh and and he's back on top he just beat the best in mexico so
1: yeah so mark let, i want to gonna... i want to go inside the ropes a little with you so when you were playing out on tour in between shots you know you're you're walking the course you're walking up to your golf ball did did you like to talk to your playing partner or to your caddy or were you too focused on what the next shot was going to be, and and kind of lining that up instead of uh you know wanting to chit chat as you were walking along?
2: Um, uh, you know I would um I'd probably kind of a blend. I I hated not not you know, if my plane partner didn't want to talk, I was good with that because I had my caddy, and I hired my caddy because uh, in all cases I hired my caddy because I enjoyed hanging out with somebody for eight hours a day about. You know, so you better like him uh, because you're going to be with them a lot. So if, if your playing partners didn't talk to you, you talk to your caddy. And I made sure my caddy was burst on, did you see that hockey game last night? How about that overtime goal? What about, you know, that game-winning basket at the end of the Nuggets game? I wanted my guy to be kind of into the, if he could be, into sports. So we'd have something to talk about the next day. So I like to get away, whether it was my playing partner or not. Once I hit a shot, I I would like to talk about what happened. Did you watch, you know, I'm an ESPN guy, especially back in the day. So I wanted to talk about what happened on the sports the night before, what was upcoming standings were, you know, big hockey fan, football fan, baseball fan, basketball fan, uh, when the March Madness came around, we talk about March Madness. Uh, You know, should the college football have a playoff or not? What are we going to do? Those conversations is what I like talking about. And then I kind of had a body clock on. So when I was getting closer to my ball, I would kind of start paying attention to, you know, what kind of shot I had, you know, you get fall back into the being super keen about what's going on. You, I kind of went from really passionate about what happened on the game last night. I was a big Avalanche fan. You know, there's a couple of years that they had a couple of goals at the end of the games that really uh told their story. And so I would really get into that during my round. And then when it got to be time to start paying attention to golf again, I, I did that. I, I you know, I wasn't ever like a fuzzy or a Trevino, although those guys come across one way and, they're actually another, but uh, I just kind of like to get away from a little bit from what's going on because I'm going to deal with it when I get up there. Why do I want to start dealing with it now when I I don't even know what kind of lie I have? For God's sake, I can't. You know, there's nothing I can do till I see it. Even if I'm in the middle of the fairway, I can't plan my attack to the green until I get up and see my lie. Kind of read what what. Okay, here's, and then go through my process. So. Some people have a process that starts earlier. Some people have a quick process that starts later, uh you know nearer the ball. maybe even once they get they're talking to their caddy, they' are like seven. what do you got? one sixty eight Okay, I'm in his seven. look out that's what, I've seen Stabler <laughs> play great golf that way. so uh you know there's some, and then some guys would be more they would call it more intellectual where they have to think all the way up. About all these situations, and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna wait till I see what situation it is, and then I'll give that 100. percent
1: One of the things you mentioned Lee Trevino's name, and it, you know, Lee is least notoriously known for you know constant talking, right? the whole time, yeah. always having some some story or something to say. Did you have an opportunity to play with Trevino, and was he was he like that, or is that just something that that we had that we believed he was like? but he really wasn't.
2: No, I have played with Lee Trevino and I played with him when I was first pro. The first time I played with him, I was in South America down in Colombia, playing in the Colombian open. And I was, what was I? 21, maybe, maybe 22 years old. So playing with Lee Trevino, are you kidding me? I was freaking out, but I paid attention to him. And then I got on, you know, after I made the tour, I got to know him and kind of know his deal and watch him and play with him and totally watch him when I was playing with him. And the deal about – there's times that, that Lee Trevino was speaking, but I don't even know if he knew what he was saying because I was watching him totally intent on the shot he had at hand, but he liked throwing it like it, it wasn't a big deal. So sometimes he would just jibber-jabber away, not even making sense. Almost, you know, just to to do his stick. Yet, when you watch his eyes, you can see exactly where he is. And he knows exactly where he is. He has this shot and this shot means something. And he's totally into it, 100%. As much as anybody in the world, although you would think he's not even into it. You know,
3: he <laughs> doesn't
2: even look like he cares. But once you play with him and you see his action, uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool.
1: Mark, I want to get your insights on a tour player's mental approach to the game. For so many of us, we're our own worst enemy, right? We're our own worst critic, where we're down on ourselves if we hit a bad shot, slamming the club down, cursing themselves, and all of that sort of thing. Do tour players do that? Are you guys so focused on, all right, that was a bad shot, but I'm going to get up here and I'm going to hit another good shot right here, and it's not going to make any difference? Talk about the different mindsets between a tour pro and an amateur.
2: Well, I will tell you uh, one of the biggest things that I see, and, and I've I've been there, and I've also watched it. When you're on top of your game, and you hit, you're hitting the ball on the range as a warm up, you don't you have no idea how you're even hitting it. All right, you're just hitting, and you're so in tune with going to play the game, not so much hit. Whereas I think amateurs are way more into. If they have a nice range warm-up, they feel really good going to the first tee. And if they don't, they don't feel that great going to the first tee. They're thinking, oh, my God, I didn't hit it any good at all. I hope, Well, I hope I hit it good on the golf course because my warm-up was awful. That kind of stuff goes on uh, with amateurs where tour pros, the, the, when you're on your game tour pros, when they are hitting beforehand, it doesn't matter because it doesn't count. We're, we're more anxious to get to the round, and it might go not very good, or it might go good. It's all part of the journey of that round. And a really a guy that really is on his game, I guess Phil Mickelson would probably come to mind because he hits it when he hits it offline. He hits it pretty good offline. I mean, it's not barely offline. He can really wick it way offline. But if you ever watch his eyes, he's totally into going. And coming up with a shot, and that's what tour pros do they're never you know when I was my best, I was never surprised at what might happen. I might react to it like, "Wow, that was a drag or what a lucky break It hit off that tree and hit the gallery post and knocked on the green sweet um you just are it's part of the the ride for the day, so you always when you're on top of your game, you always Figure out, and it's this simple. I'm pulling it a little bit. I'm going to aim just a little further right. You know, I'm coming over it a little bit from the top, and it's cutting a little more. I'll just give it a little more room to the left, and then you kind of play along. And that's what I see when I when I when I've been there, and that's what I see when I'm watching good play to this day. A really tour pro and really on his game watch them they don't it doesn't matter where it goes Patrick Reed as an example when he hit that iron way to the right on 18 never even thought about it he never thought about anything uh, other than what he's got coming up he wasn't busy wondering why he hit it to the right he was already up figuring out what he was going to do how he was going to make a four or five
3: that's that's a tour pro
2: that's a guy on top but it's not just a tour pro; it's a tour pro on top of his
1: game. There's a couple of things I I, I want to get a little deeper into that you just mentioned, Mark. You, you mentioned Phil Mickelson, and you know, and and for so many of us, when we're when we go out to play our rounds and, and we hit a shot into a bunker, you know, sort of a letdown, like oh no, right? We have the dread that we're going to now we're in the bunker and we're going to be able to get this out and that sort of thing. But tour players, and you mentioned Phil Mickelson you guys are thinking about how to make it from in the bunker. So that's a whole different mindset and it's like a 180 difference for what amateurs think about. So is 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 the talk about the mindset of, you know, being around the green in a bunker, maybe you're, you know, a little over, short, that sort of thing where we've got the dread of this next shot. You guys are thinking make it.
2: Well, guys on tour, for instance, on a par 5, Would, if they're not on the green, they'd much rather be in a bunker than in the rough surrounding the green. And that's simply because you have now grass in between your club base and the ball. So you have a little bit of inconsistency. You're not super sure about how the ball's going to come out. Could come out hot, could come out soft. You're not real sure. But in a bunker, now granted, know that we have, when we get to the tournament, that we've played in for years and years or not. When we get to the tournament, we go right to the bunkers and figure out what the bunkers are. Are they skimpy? Are they thick? Are they like bisquick? Are they like beat stand? Are they like dirt? Do they have shells in them? I mean, all of these questions that you, when you go figure out how to do it. And then once you figure out how to do it, you, you have hit enough balls that you execute. So now you know out of the stand because you never are making contact in a greenside bunker you're never making contact with the ball ever you're only
3: hitting sand
2: so you can kind of be more mm, you can be more accurate out of a bunker because you know how the sand's going to react unlike the rough around the greens it gets a little bit gnarly you're not Sure, how the ball's going to react so you will see tour guys and really good golfers going for the bunkers if they can't get on the greens because they're gonna, you're going to you're going to make it or you're going to hit it close that's just the way it is and when you have that mindset going into a bunker you can imagine how much easier it is to hit a shot than going in a little bit scared and a little bit unsure. So. You know, not everybody has the luxury of going out and checking out the stand before they play at a golf course. You know, a lot of people are showing up to a resort, and they haven't hit a bunker shot in the first hole. You know they're going to hit a bunker, and they're not really sure. So then I think you need to go back to a little bit more feedback of past performance, whatever gets you over that little mini hurdle of being comfortable or uncomfortable. So to me, it's about execution. Knowing that if I do this, if I hit two to three inches behind the ball, slightly a downward move into the bunker, slightly cutting across, my ball's always going to come out like this, whatever this is. So it, it, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind and being comfortable with the shot that you don't get so anxious and have the anxiety flare in and cause you to hit a bad shot. At least you have something that is a go-to. Hey, I know how to do this. I know I didn't really want this shot this early. I haven't hit a bunker shot, but I do remember this. If I take the club up and I have the ball in my stance here and my weights like this and I do my thing, this is all about execution, and if I do my thing, I know the ball will at least get out and it'll roll up there, and then I'll be good. So I think it's mindset, probably technique you're going to hear later from one of the great teachers so it's technique but you know as as a tour guy goes we've hit so many shots out of so many bunkers that it does become where we just we know that of thinking we know out of the rough we think we know how it's going to go out of the sand we know we know how it's going to go
1: Mark, one more before I let you go, and you talked about this a moment ago. With when you're on your game and you're and you're playing along, when your swing or your ball flight isn't going the way that you wanted it to during the round, right? Early on in your round, you're seeing, you know what? Hey, I am, uh, you know, I'm fading this ball a little bit. No matter what I do, I'm, I'm hitting a little fade here. Do you do you, for a couple of holes try to figure it out and fix it, or do you realize? for this round, this is how I'm going to be playing. This is how what my ball flight's going to look like. So I'm just going to adjust a little bit whether it's where I stand on the tee or where I aim, I'm just going to go with it.
2: Well, I I would recommend having a go-to shot. If if you're just unsure and a little bit anxious about what's going on, if you can if you know that you can slice the ball or know that you can hook the ball, that then tells you where you can aim. And I, I try to play a shot, a curve. I try to, I tell every junior that I've worked with, cause they keep telling me they're trying to hit it straight. And I always remind them, you know that the straight shot is the hardest shot to hit in golf. You know that before you tell me you're going to hit it straight, you really know that's the hardest one. It's the easiest one is to curve. So I try to find a curve that is easy for me and that might change daily. But if I can find a curve, or the ball's curving, I've told many uh, amateur in pro-am, you know, Mark, I keep darting my ball down the middle and it ends up in the right trees. You know what I tell them? Aim farther left. Play for that. Why fight it? You can work on it on the range, on the courses where we are measured by our score. It's not where we're measured about how good we look or how great we hit it. It really is, hey, what'd you shoot? So anything that allows you to get in at the lowest score you have for that day is the way I think you should play golf every day. And that's what I try to tell all the kids that I work with on inside the rope is this is, it's all about scoring. You're not, you don't get us. People aren't, it's not skating or swimming or or, (laughs) where they're judging
1: you by the way you look.
2: Yeah. It doesn't matter. It, It really is about,
3: What'd you shoot?
1: Mark, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media.
2: Well, I, I do. Uh, I've got, uh, I think I'm just Mark Weeby Golf on Instagram. That seems to be my favorite thing to check out golf on or share stuff. I do have a Twitter, and that is at Mark Wiebe 33. And when my website site is back up and running. It'll be with a new provider, but it'll still be called markwebegolf.com and hopefully this old guy can get this up and running here soon so I can start connecting with people and uh and start doing some lessons and stuff.
1: Mark, always a huge thrill to have you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for continuing to take time out of your evenings to come back and share your thoughts and your insights. It's uh It's a real treat, and I always learn something every time you're on the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again soon.
2: You're awesome, bud. Thank you so much. And next time, it'll be number nine. So we're almost That's right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Look forward to it. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, buddy. See you, Mark. That's a great Mark Wiebe, W-I-E-B-E. And uh, check him out on uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. Hopefully he gets his website back up and running soon. He's got a lot of great content on there, so I miss not having it uh, to be able to check out over the last several weeks. But Mark's a great guy and a great friend, and I can't wait to have him back on the show again soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Andy Lane, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, I'll tell you what, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth PTX Pro or Edge irons and take it out on the range and compare it to whatever you've got in the bag. Because all Ben Hogan Woods irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can custom make woods, irons, wedges, hybrids, all of that online and to your specifications by going to BenHoganGolf.com. And the best thing of all is they're going to charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. So go online and check out their complete line of great golf equipment, bags, and accessories at BenHoganGolf.com. This segment of the show is sponsored by our good friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
2: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why
1: golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour
2: Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGA Superstore.com. Now back to Chris and
1: more of the show. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Andy Lano, and let me uh, let me give you a little background on Andy. He started out with us last summer on the show for the, for the very first time, and what a delight it has been getting to know him. Fantastic guy, and he's contributed a lot of great stories and insights here. He is uh, was a caddy on tour for 25 years on both the PGA and LPGA tours, caddied for Tenny, uh, Kenny Perry for nearly a decade. He also caddied for players like Tom Watson, Peter Jacobson, Nick Faldo, Michelle Wee, when she uh, played out on the PGA Tour Challenge, the guys, plus our good friends Dave Stockton Jr. and Richard Zokol. He played his uh, high school golf at Deering High in Portland, Maine, and his college golf at Western Kentucky University, and he caddied on tour in 40-plus majors, I think 42 is the number, and he was a part of the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team. Like I say, he was also on the bag for Michelle Wee at the 2006-84 Lumber Classic. That uh, that event was out on the PGA Tour, and he was inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame back in 2010, retired from the tour in 2016, started his own business called Golf Mastery, which helps players master the game from a strategic management point of view. You can find that site online at golfmastery.net, and I'm very excited to have uh, Andy back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Andy, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Chris.
0: Doing, doing really good, and uh, great to be back and and uh, catching up with you.
1: I appreciate you. So, Andy, you know, before we get into all the golf stuff, you know, uh, as a as a fellow Red Sox fan, I I, I got to get your thoughts. A lot of changes with the Sox over the off season for a team with as much money and as many resources as the Sox have. You stunned by this Mookie Betts trade? You know, I kind of am. I mean, is there something we're missing here, Chris?
0: the Red Sox have and, and you and I know what you know what a gold mine Fenway Park is um, but I, it just it it is a little bit for me I guess I don't know all the details I've listened to several people talk about it being under the luxury tax and you got to get back down there to kind of start all over and and so on but I mean I can only attribute it to the fact of obviously that they, they've eaten some bad contracts um i don't know why they you know they've invested in some people you know in the past and even currently on the team that they're still paying you and i know who they are but i mean i don't know i i love rookie and, and it uh it made me a little bit sad but i guess part of the business is something we're going to have to deal with as, as you know fans
1: do you see this as a as an attempt to to restart a little bit uh or do you think maybe the Sox are trying to get you know, got those contracts off the books and maybe they, you know, if they see how they go, you know, through the first half of the year and if they're in contention might still make a push or do you think this is maybe a two or three year sort of thing? Well, they,
0: they still have a lot of talent on the team. Let's, you know, let's not sell them short. I mean, you and I know it takes more than, you know, You got to have, you know, lots. they still got some great players on the team. So I think it's kind of a, you know, a half in half out thing. I mean, obviously it gets them back down below the luxury tax, but I mean, it's just, I don't know how the fans are gonna. I mean, it's hard to tell how it's. You know, the fans are always gonna go to Fenway. It's as you know been there. It's an iconic place. It's always gonna be there, and regardless of you know what you know what the Sox are doing, they still fill the place. So it'll be interesting to see, especially especially with uh you know the rivals down the street pumping it up and and boosting their uh their their roster. It'll really will we'll find out just exactly you know, how good the interim coach is and and what their strategy is and, and how they develop some of these young prospects that they have now acquired.
1: So, Andy, switching gears and let's talk a little golf now. And the story dominating the PGA Tour, at least right now, is all around Patrick Reed. I'm curious to get your thoughts. How do you think that issue is being received and sort of inside the ropes by the players? Is this a big deal for the players or is this just sort of a fan social media sort of issue? Well, I mean,
0: I haven't watched a lot of it, you know, I haven't seen a lot of it. I've obviously seen, you know, replays, et cetera. But I mean, I, I obviously think it's a, it's a very big deal because you know, you're talking about, you know, the integrity of the game of golf. So right, wrong, or indifferent, this is what seems, you know, this is what it's all about. And we all know that, you know, when, you are a golfer whether it's you or me or 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 anyone any pro golfer on the tour whatever you police yourself i mean you know out there you know whether a twig moved your ball or whatever and and that's the really what, one of the cool things about golf is it's a gentleman's game and it's a game of honor so you know i believe that obviously it's a feasting ground for the media to be able to take on especially when you're you know at the highest level uh, you know, of golf, and you know you're playing for all this money. It's it's hard. I, I don't think it can be overlooked. But um, I mean it's it's uh it's it's interesting how it's not you know uh, going away. I don't think, and it probably won't. So I mean, that's that's what I've pro. That's what I've seen in a little bit that I've observed.
1: So Andy, if you were on the bag and your player was playing against Patrick Reed, whether it was just in a regular tournament, and you got paired with him. Or particularly if you were in a match play event and he was the other guy that uh that your player's playing against, you got more of an eye on Patrick Reed Are you watching a little more closely to what he's doing than uh, you might have otherwise watched a player in the past
0: well i mean my first of all, my main concern in that situation is my golfer, and to make sure that everything's fine with him i mean there isn't there isn't a lot of match play as you know you know, outside of the tournament coming up here in Austin pretty soon as far as the one-on-one goes. But I but I really think that the thing that needs to be noted here is that, you know, every golfer is responsible for protecting the field. And and that's important. And I, I really haven't heard but a few pros talk about that. I mean, I heard, I think I heard a little something from um, Kepka last week and he mentioned something about how he may have seen not, you know, not from Patrick Reeve but for some other players along his career that was, you know, a marginal thing or whatever and didn't report it or didn't say anything about it, you know, because it's it's very distracting and it's, it can be very upsetting. But to answer your question, I mean, not not really. I mean, you know, I just think that, you know, you gotta take care of your pro first and, you know, you know, I know that I was fortunate in my twenty five years to work for guys and we got we got in some situations to where, you know, you had to you know, you had to just, you had to take a look at, you know, where the ball crossed and all that kind of thing. And there was some close incidents, not with people I worked with, but within the group. And it was policed like it should be. And I think that that's what really should be noted here is that, you know, I know all these golfers are out to play for themselves, obviously, but they're also responsible to protect the field.
1: And do you want to get your thoughts on the uh, on the distance issue? We finally seen the USGA and the RNA say, you know what, enough with uh, the distance guys are hitting it on tour now. And, I, and I'm sure you probably saw Rory McIlroy drive the green at the 415 yard par four, the 12th hole at the WGC, you know, this past weekend in, in Mexico. And I get that, you know, th- there was some elevation that aided it, right? They, they played at a pretty high elevation, but still, right? you know, he's driving yep. 415 yard par fours. We've seen Dustin Johnson do it, you know, every once in a while getting it on the green, you know, from the, from the tee box. What do you think should be done? How do how do you fix it now? And are you for bifurcation?
0: I mean, you know, obviously, I got to see it, you know, from the wood wood perspective and the Balada ball, all the all, all the way till you know recently till now, right? And it, it's been interesting to think that a lot of these players are hitting the ball, like you just said. I mean, as far as they did 20 years ago, whereas in the olden days, it just didn't seem to work out that way, obviously. So, I mean, it's a combination of the golf ball. I mean, the golf ball goes forever. I mean, it doesn't spin anymore. So therefore, these these they, if you get this trajectory thing right, the ball, you can just send these missiles and then when it hits, not only are you flying it further, but it's actually rolling too. In the olden days, it was too much spin on the ball as a comparison in the you know you could smash the ball, I remember when I first started a big knock was three hundred yards, three hundred yards now that's like I think it's like in the middle of the pack or back, so I mean I think that you know they're on the right track i mean i i don't i mean they keep lengthening the golf courses, and that doesn't seem to work so I mean you can't make golf courses eighty five hundred yards I mean if that wouldn't be any good for you and I, I know that much, so I mean I just it's going to be interesting to see where they actually draw the line on, you know, you know, the, the trampoline effect on these drivers. I mean, that has to be factored in too. And now I, I understand that they're randomly testing drivers each week at the tour, you know, at, at these tour events to see. So, I mean, the technical part of the game is, is, is obviously, you know, keeping a lot of these guys' careers going too. Um, You know, you got guys on the on the Champions Tour that are hitting the ball further than they did in their prime. You know, and again, that's because they got great golf swings. But now you mix in this this equipment, and you know, it's helping them, you know, do better and cash cash checks and, and you know keep keep bringing in uh, the the cash. And that seems to be what it's all about.
1: Andy, I want to get your your thoughts on the on the mindset of of a tour player, and then, you know, even you know, for a caddies. I mean, you you caddied in, I think the numbers forty two majors. When you're when you're on the bag, and and you know, let's take Kenny Perry because you, you caddied for him for nine years. Is the mindset different when you're playing a major than it is when you're playing a regular tour event? Is it is it more tense? Is it, is there more focused? Is it any different when you're playing a major
0: it i mean it it definitely it definitely is i mean you hope that it isn't, but let's face it I mean you know not to knock any of the other tournaments, but obviously everybody gets jazzed up for the masters and the masters is a special place and then you move to the you know the u s open and the u s opens always at a different course, and then you're going you know across the you know the pond to play over there so and then the course, well now they've changed it. I, you know, I reversed it now. Now the PGA's first, I guess. But but yeah, I mean, majors have always been more valuable. It's how you size up, you know, careers. I mean, that's what everybody seems to look at. Well, how many majors did he win? Does that matter that he won, you know, 20 regular tour events? You know, you won two majors or whatever. So it, it the mindset is definitely different. The guys definitely get prepared for it. Um, they hope to make it as normal as possible. I know that's what we tried to do when I worked for Kenny. I mean, we tried to make it a normal week, but with all the hoopla and all the media now and all the, you know, everything else that's increased people having cell phones and, and streaming and, and everything that goes into it now, it's just, it's such a huge event that for sure it, 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 there's no doubt that it, that, that it's, it's different. And, and these guys, they're so good at their craft that they make it look like it really, you know, some of them, you know, really make it look like it's not because they just go about their routine. But a lot of them try to stick to their routine. And, you know, like, uh, you know, w- you know, Weebs was talking about earlier in your show, you know, it's the repeat, repeat stuff that these pros, I mean, they can do stuff in their sleep. And obviously there's a lot more on the line in the major than there is a regular tour event. But still, I mean, it's, It's a it's a rush that it's hard to explain and it's different no matter how many times you've been there. I mean, you know, if you've gone to the Masters eight or nine times, each time it's different. I mean, it's you still get pumped, but it's always going to be a different kind of a you know a rush and a feeling. It's going to be a different preparation. I mean, the weather is always going to be different. The greens they change the course, so it's always getting tweaked. So it's it's an interesting challenge, and these guys that win them. You know that that are doing and are winning a lot of them. That just shows you how really good they are to be able to repeat it and do it. You know, guys like Mickelson winning as many as he did, Kepka doing it here lately as many as he has. It's it's incredible that they can they can go out there and just stamp these things out because I can tell you it is not that easy.
1: Andy, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned the Masters, and we're all counting down the days now. It's getting getting pretty close. Uh, in, in the uh, in the windshield for us all, so we're we're getting excited about that. Want right to get your thoughts? Because one of the things I know, and I can't wait to be there. I promise you, my friend, it's my favorite place on the planet. But one of the things that we hear so much about is is the twelfth hole, right? Because it's a it's a short par three, but it's always about the wind. When you've been caddying there for Kenny or any of the other players, that you had an opportunity to be on the bag for at the Masters. When you get to the twelfth tee, what are you looking for to try to figure out where to play it? First of
0: all, that hole, I'm um, one that's wanting to sign something, and we'll go and we'll pass it around to all the other caddies. But you know, a lot of us believe that hole is haunted. So uh, is that right? I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding with you. Because you, <laughs> you get there in the back. You get there in the practice round, right? And the wind never blows, and you just stand up there and they hit, they hit nine iron, eight iron, whatever, no deal, whatever. And then all of a sudden Thursday comes, and all of a sudden there's always some sort of a swirling breeze or something. There's always something going on down there in that corner. But I mean, my experience and the piece, and you've been there and you've seen it from you know from where you can view it. I mean, the place is like it's it's a it's a magical place and stuff happens that doesn't happen in the practice round seems to happen between Thursday and Sunday there. And we've all seen it, you know, cause of all the, all the great, you know, tournaments that we've been able to, you know, to witness. But I mean, what I've learned from all the pros that I've been around and I try to, you know, obviously get the front yardage and then right over the center of the bunker, you know, that I think it's like 10 or whatever. That's the fly. And, you know, there's a couple over that. That's what we try to fly it every time, regardless of where the pin was. And there's a spot over there, and it was, it's almost, believe it or not, it's almost the middle of the green. And that's where you want to aim it. If the pin's left, you're aiming it there. If it's right, you're aiming it there. That's, that's where I've had, you know, uh, my best success. Start trying to pin hunt there, and it, you know the rest of the story. I mean, cost Jordan, you know, speak, you know, might have cost him his second one, who knows? And then, but then you had someone like Fred Couples leave it on the bank, ship it up and get lucky and, and win the thing. So it's, it's a variance of things, but that that's always been our strategy there, is whoever I've worked for, that's where I've, I've tried to, you know, we've tried to you know, strategize and realize that regardless of when we get there or what day it is, this is where we're going. So get that front number, because I obviously change the T-markers every day, but that point that you that you that center that center point right there you know right just a little bit over that bunker that's kind of where you want to be because guess what if you land it there the worst you're going to have is an 18 footer in either direction 18 20 feet so if you ask any of these pros hey we'll give you four threes and you can go to the 13th tee I mean I got to believe it'd be a long line taking taking that walk to the 13th tee. <laughs>
1: Andy, before I let you go, remind our listeners about what you're doing now and your site golfmastery.net. dot so net.
0: Joe, I started I started golf mastery and went you know with 25 years on the you know caddying worldwide. I'm, I'm trying what I'm doing is I'm I'm trying to um, you know walking alongside these guys and obviously observing them, trying to take all those you know that wisdom and knowledge and, and those little bit of tidbits and try to pass that on and try to try to help people you know golf enthusiasts lower their score and have a better strategy and and and, and strengthen their mental game and obviously you know green reading that's a personal thing you know obviously to do too but you know all those things they'll lower your score and that's that's basically what we're all out to do we go play golf we're trying to lower our score and and to focus on i think that Out there right now, I mean, there isn't a lot of focus on that. I mean, obviously, course management is huge, and just playing percentages and not pin hunting on every hole, and and playing, you know, playing to your strengths and chipping, you know, to your strengths and all that kind of thing. It saves you a lot of shots. I mean, you play a lot of golf, you know, and and it's it it definitely works. So trying to trying to bring that strategy and trying to bring all all those nuggets that I was able to gain from the best in the world and pass that on to folks and hope that, you know, to give them more enjoyment in the game of golf, and, you know, and that's, that's basically what it's all about.
1: So Andy, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media as well.
0: Right. Well, you can go to, you can go to my site at www.golfmastery.net and on Twitter. On Twitter it's alano two Romanomo well, 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 two at at alano two and then uh Instagram is uh A Lano Aglano two, the number two on on Instagram. That's all I got. I I can only handle two, so that's that's all just <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's enough that's enough media for me for me anyway. So <laughs> I know you, you and awesome. I we enjoy, we enjoy the Instagram and the and the Twitter the Twitter is a, you know it's a great vehicle you know it's a great information network and you know and it's it's a positive place to be so that that's where that's where it's happening for everybody and that's where you want to be right now
1: Well Andy I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy night to come back and uh, be a part of the show always a lot of fun getting to spend time with you my friend I hope you'll come back and do it again soon
0: for sure, Chris. I, I always appreciate the invite, and uh, and hopefully uh, you got your trip scheduled for Ireland this year. That was supposed to be on the docket. Did you ever get that in the books or what?
1: No, it's not in the books yet, my friend. It's still, it's still a part of uh, the bucket list, but uh, definitely going to make it happen within the next year or two because uh, Old Head is absolutely unbelievable, and all the pictures that those guys put out on Instagram really makes you, you know, Dying to get there, my friend. Can't can't wait to make that happen.
0: You will. All right, Chris. Thanks very much. I appreciate
1: it. We'll stay in touch. Take care. Absolutely. Take care, Andy. That's a great Andy Lano, L-A-N-O. And uh, like you said, it's uh, Roman numeral two out there on, uh, on Twitter. Great guy, great follow, great knowledge. And certainly can't wait to have him uh, come back and be a part of the show again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Tom Patrick, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at T-Vibes Golf. And their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts during the course your round And they're a great training aid as well because you can't help but stay positive and have a smile on your face because every time you walk back to your bag and you see their, their, their putter covers or their head covers, that smile goes right on you. I'm telling you, it, it's a great way to get your mind right when you're playing golf. See what I'm talking about by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com. And again, give them a follow on Twitter at p And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Golf Pride. This segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet. The winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence. Grip golf pride. All right. Now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can go visit Tom and improve your game at Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. You can sign up for golf lessons via his website, tompatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter when you're on his site as well. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always a privilege to have him with me on Next on the Tee. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend?
3: Christopher, it's unbelievable to be back with you. Incredible. (laughs)
1: indeed it is tp so my friend i know you've got a pretty hot take we've been talking all night about the patrick reed situation he goes out and wins again sunday at the wgc in mexico but no matter what he does for the rest of his career it sort of feels like this cloud of potential cheating or whatever you want to call it is going to be hanging over his head what are your thoughts on that
3: did you say potential cheating
1: i did i'm being kind
3: well, let's just be factual. Okay. I mean, what do you call improving your lie by moving standout from the back of your ball? What do you call that? Is uh-huh. that potential? Let's, let's just do this. We, we had a problem at Georgia. We had a problem at Augusta State. We had a problem at the Hero World Challenge. We had a problem at the President's Cup twice. We had a problem at the Ryder Cup. If it smells like a duck, it quacks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck, and it sounds like a duck, there's a good chance, Chris, it's a duck. <laughs> I mean, the thing that's amazing, let me ask you a question. Let's replace the captain for the President's Cup this year. Let's take Tiger out, and let's put Arnold Palmer in. <laughs> if Arnold Palmer was the captain of this year's President's Cup, my question is, do you think Patrick Reed would have boarded the plane to go to Australia.
0: Yeah, no. He
3: he wouldn't have he wouldn't have gotten me a department. Okay? What I don't understand, the thing I'm really having trouble with, see I've already come to grips, it's very simple. Patrick Reed is a cheater. How's that? I just said it. Patrick Reed is a cheater. Okay? Period. End of sentence. What I'm having trouble with is the PGA tour and the players on the PGA tour both making light of the situation, thinking it's funny or or embracing Patrick Reed. Uh, what, I don't get it. How does, how does Tiger Woods, I mean, if, if, if I'm Tiger Woods and that happens in the Bahamas, I pull Patrick aside and say, listen, Patrick, I don't know what story you come up with, but um, either you're sick or you feel like it's a distraction or you feel like it's the best thing for the team, but you're not getting on the plane to Australia. It's not happening. And then they get down to Australia and on social media, they're joking around about it, like it's like it's funny. I don't see how that's funny. I don't get it. I think the integrity of the game, traditions of the game, and and how we should embrace this game that we love so much. I don't know where the I don't know where these guys' heads are at. This guy is a cheater. He's a bad egg, and these guys are kind of just brushing it under the rug. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I get it. And the PGA Tour. They haven't even made a statement. They haven't said
1: a a word about it. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, Tom, think about this in in context of what's going on in just sports in general. Right? Guys do things that the league doesn't want them to do. They get a second chance, which is fine. But many of them get a third, a fourth, a fifth, an eighth. Right? We've seen it in the NFL with guys on drugs. You know, they get busted. And, you know, guys like Josh Gordon get eight chances, you know, to, to figure it out. right? It seems like, and we just saw Patrick Reed win. So it seems like, as, as we've all heard over the course of our lives, right, Tom? Winning cures everything. So, hey, if you can not win, my, my, if you can be a my player. Book, not my book. Sorry. I'm, hey, look, book. we're dealing with right it right now, right? In baseball, right? Jose Altuve and the Astros, nothing happening. Hell, coaches pay the price. Yeah. Right? Front office pays the price. Players, no price. That seems like what happened. So
3: so what are politics in America, the Houston Astros and Patrick Reed have in common? <laughs> They're full of cheaters. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not stepping aside and this, this is this is absolute crap. It's it's actually it's it's embarrassing. It's shameful to the sport. It's it's shameful to the integrity of the game. And, and and I I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not backing up in my comments. It's just absolutely it's pathetic. Pathetic.
1: Alright, let's let's switch gears just a little bit. And um we live in a world, Tom, where everyone wants instant gratification. And that's just not golf, right? That's not a golf swing. You can't go out there and be good the first time you pick up a club, you can't even be good. The second or third time that you pick up a club, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. How do, how do you temper when you get a new student that may have never played before and and they want to start playing this great game of golf? How do you set expectations so that they understand? At least for me, in my in my experience, it took me 10 years just to be bad at golf. How do you temper the <laughs> expectation of new students?
3: No, I th- I think you have a very honest first first-lesson conversation with the student. I mean, you know, very rarely, at least now in my in my career, does somebody come to me that's never touched a golf club before in their life. Most people come to me, you know, they've been out once or twice with a buddy, they've been to a driving range, they've hit a couple of balls, they've had, they've had their club, hands on the club to some degree. And and let's let's say the guy is really struggling or the, or the lady's really struggling and it's really new to them. Um, you know, I, we have a really honest, honest conversation about how long it takes to develop any kind of level of competency in something that has as many moving parts as a golf swing, but happens in less than two seconds. Um, you know, I, I, you, you know of this, Chris, and, and you know this already, but for the viewers who don't know, I've inherited a student this winter named Jackie Bradley Jr., And I know he's very near and dear to your heart. And by the way, he's a a great guy, a wonderful guy, and obviously a very, very fine athlete. And for the viewers that don't know who he is, he plays center field for the Boston Red Sox. So obviously a really, really good athlete. And how about Jackie Bradley Jr. has extremely unrealistic expectations about how well he should be playing golf in less than a year. Now, by the way, he's making some really good golf swings really high-end golf playing so somebody's been playing that little time but still his expectation level is way higher than his ability so we had we had a really couple of really honest sit-down discussions between sessions that dude i know you're a great athlete i know you have great hand i i know you're athletically adept but this is a different game you don't get three strikes you don't get four balls and you can't hit the ball here at the right, left, or center field. Only center field is good, and you only get one swing at it. It's a different, it's a different set of rules, and the sweet spot is really small. And he started kind of laughing when I, when I broke it down that way. But, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a very high rate of speed in a very short period of time with a lot of moving parts. You, got a little get, you have, a little, have to have a little realistic conversation with the individual and say, this is going to take some time, man. This is going to take some time.
1: You know what I love most about that story is the fact that Mr. Yankee fan is now teaching Jackie Bradley Jr. and going to Red Sox games to go watch him play. That warms my heart.
3: Well, first of all, we had a very, it's funny, the first day we met, he walked up to me on the range of Esplanade. It was early in the morning. You'll like this this a lot. It was 730 in the morning. I was setting up for an eight o'clock lesson. This fellow came walking across the tee. Obviously, he's in golf clothes. I don't, I, and honestly, I don't recognize him at 730 in the morning in golf clothes. And he walks over He says, are you, Tom? I said, yes, I am. He said, my name is Jackie. He said, Jackie, nice to meet you. He goes, I've heard your name around town. I'm new at the game. I need some help. I heard you're the guy. I said, well, that's very nice. I said, I've got a card here. I said, why don't you email me and I'll, I'll send you some date availability and we'll get together and get started. He said, sure. I said, Jackie, you live in town. He goes, I do. I own a home here in town. I said, hey, he looked at him. I said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and he said to me, he looked, he looked me straight in the eye. He goes, I play center field for the Boston Red Sox. I said, don't call me and don't email me. <laughs> he he started he laughing and he says, oh, you're one of those. I said, one of those? What does that mean? One of, what I mean? What, what's one of those mean? He goes, you're a New Yorker, aren't you? I said, I am a New Yorker. I love my Yankees. And don't bother texting me or emailing me because you're out. You're fired. (laughs) And and, and we both both started laughing. He's a wonderful guy, a really good guy. He's got zero ego. He's he's extremely regular and low-key. And and he's been a lot of fun to be around this winter.
1: Speaking of wonderful, and I want to get your thoughts because you recently – put out a wonderful video of your life and golf that people can see on your website, Tompatry.com, on your Facebook page, or they can find it on YouTube as well. And in it, and you talk about setting expectations in it, you talk about how as a junior player, you played in your first tournament and then that first tournament, you shot 144 and the kid you were playing with yeah, shot 76. 100,
3: 144 Sterling golf shots. I'll add to that.
1: Yes. <laughs> So the guy you're playing against shoots about half what you did, and you become determined to not let that happen again and not to get beat that badly. And a year later, in the same tournament, you break 80. That's a heck of a way of going from a terrible player to a really good one.
3: So if anybody wants to know what makes me tick, Chris, and you, you and I have gotten to know each other pretty well long distance over the last couple of years, and it's been a real pleasure. That, that that kind of defines, if anybody wants to understand who I am, that's who I am. That's how I have played the game. That's how I teach the game. And that's what my expectation is, not only of myself, and always has been, but of my students. And that's why, Chris, quite frankly, Tom Patrick is just not for everybody. He's just not. I mean, and he doesn't want to be for everybody. The guy that comes to my team that generally stays with me, the woman that comes to my team generally stays with me for long periods of time and de- develops a relationship, a teacher coaching your relationship with me is as equally as passionate as I am and, and as determined as I am. So yeah, I, I shot I was uh I was um twelve years old and I shot one forty four and the next summer at thirteen I shot seventy six I believe. I think that's right. Seventy two seventy seven I think seventy six the following year. But in the in the time in between I was absolutely like a crazed dog. I mean I that winter, I, I shoveled snow off the range tee at the club. I literally shoveled snow off the range tee. I, I hit balls off frozen ground. I made slings in my bedroom. I putted on the rug. You know, I, I got in front of a mirror and did positional work. And this is before, Chris, this is before we had instruction or video or Trackman or Vest or any of the things we have today. This was me looking at a golf digest and trying to, in front of the mirror and figure things out as a kid without any help. As I, I think Chris, you know this. The, the viewers may not. I, when I won, when I won the NCAA Division II national championship in '81, at that point in my life, I had never had a golf lesson. Um, so I won. Wow. I think I won 17 junior events, four or five amateur events. I won five or six college events and an NCAA, and I never had a golf lesson. So. And in, a, in a day and time when we give kids participation trophies, which makes me sick to my stomach, um, I, I'm not, I wasn't that kid. I didn't want a participation trophy. I wanted the trophy. The trophy. That's the only one I wanted. Um and I was going to do whatever I needed to do, except for cheat, to get that. You know? So, so that, that's kind of who, that's just kind of how, how I function. Uh, And I do, I function as a teacher with the same passion for every student that's in front of me. You know, they came to me for an hour. They paid me my fee. I have an obligation to do everything I can in that hour to make them hit better golf shots and better understand how to do that when I'm not around.
1: So let's, let's fast forward that uh, for all of us that are starting to get the you know get the weather that we need and we're, we're, we're getting a bug and we need to get the rust off of our golf swings that have been in hibernation now for two three four months whatever it is how do you recommend that we start out so that we don't end up ingraining some bad habits because we haven't swung a golf club in that that period of time
3: well chris is there, is there something wrong with your weather in line it's 81 here in my driveway right now it's- at uh, nine thirteen tonight, what's 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 wrong with your weather? So I have a problem with the weather. <laughs> so, having,
1: having it's forty-five and rainy. TP. It's forty-five and rainy. Uh, yeah, I'm not on the golf course.
3: No, Chi because I really, I, you know how bad I feel about that to you, my heart believes <laughs> to you. So, so the first, the first, the first thing everybody listening needs to do is as soon as, as, soon as the show's over, they need to go online. And go to www.jetblue.com. That's the first thing they <laughs> can do, and, and and come on down and see me. That's the best thing they can do. But no, you're right. I mean, you guys, you guys uh, north of north of the Florida line, and and in the Northeast, certainly in the Midwest, um, you know, suffer through long winters. And you know, I I certainly at the very least would have a golf club in my hand or an orange whip in my hand or some kind of swing training device in my hand and making swings indoors every day. First of all, just swing something every day. Get something in your hands. maybe so you simulate a golf swing and swing every day. And second thing is, you know, I love doing mirror work. I love doing positional work and doing drills in front of a mirror all day long indoors. Obviously, anytime you can get a break in the weather and make some swings outdoors or go to a range and hit some balls and do some live action, please, every chance you get, do that. And then, and, I, and I'm being serious now. Whether it's Tom Patrick or it's Jim McLean or it's you know the Brad Brewer or whoever it is in Florida, whoever you work with or, or admire their teaching in Florida, you've got to you've got to start thinking about a trip to Florida to do some what I call spring training. We're in the middle of spring training with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees right now. You should be in spring training for two or three days in somewhere between you know, March 1st and March 30th to come down here and spend two or three days you know, working with somebody to kind of kick off your season and get some live action under your belt and get the edge on your buddies and your foursome to kick off your golf season.
1: TP, one more before I let you go. And for those of us who struggle with our putting, particularly the short distance, you know, the the three, four, five footers that if we miss it, we're going to be hanging our heads as we you know, take the walk of shame to the next tee. How do we go about practicing now to your point, whether it's indoors on the carpet or if we live in a place where we can get out and uh, out to a putting green and, and practice, how do we make more of those putts? Well, let's, let's, let's just
3: stay in there for a little bit because that's where you're confined to right now, Chris. So I love, I love practicing to something smaller than what we play called regulation golf on the golf course. In other words, the court, the, on the course, the hole is four and a half inches wide or in diameter. And I practice constantly, you know, when I'm outdoors right now in Florida, I practice with a hole reducer in the hole. So I put a hole reducer in the cup that reduces the the circumference of the hole by a third. When I'm indoors, I always put to something smaller than three, three feet. For example, a shot glass or a quarter on the floor, or something very, a penny on the floor. I'm trying to make it at the penny, make it at the quarter, make it at the shot glass from three, four, and five feet. I have to aim small, miss small, aim big, miss big. So I always like to practice to a reduced target size.
1: Well, Tom, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Mention your website again and how they can follow you on social media as well. www.yankees (laughs)
3: yankees go <laughs> first of all okay
1: god forbid don't and, anyone go on that website
3: <laughs> no <laughs> Tom, obviously tompatry.com is my website chris and then uh, obviously i'm on linkedin twitter two facebook pages instagram um my newsletter comes out uh quarterly so you can sign up on my website at tompatry.com for the newsletter which is free it always has a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, I work on that quarterly and put a lot of work into that. There's always some good stuff on there. Um, the next issue will be coming out sometime uh, probably March, April, May sometime. I haven't really nailed down the date yet, and we'll announce my summer locations. We didn't get to tonight. We'll talk about that next time maybe, but uh, I've got a couple of things up my sleeve for this summer that I knew going to be a lot of fun, a couple of cool locations, um, and a couple of cool products coming out this summer that are a little different. Um, so I'm excited about that. And, uh, and obviously that, you know, one of the great places to get in touch with me is right here and uh, with you and next on the which we're on, uh, we're on a lot. And, and I, and unfortunately I have to put up with your Red Sox garbage all the time, but it's fun being out of the
1: I appreciate you, TP. Thanks for, thanks for enduring that. And thanks for your time tonight, as always. Can't wait to catch up with you again soon in between now and then all the best to you and the missus.
3: Chris, you're the best. And I love being on with you. I love the show. I love everything you bring to the game and all the help you give all of us out there and uh, and all the opportunity to, uh, to uh, you know, expound on our, our idiocy, idiocy sometimes. But it's so much fun being on with you, and uh, <laughs> what a great lineup you had tonight. Your lineup tonight was outstanding. Andy Lano was wonderful, and, and Levy was great. He did a great job with both of so, them. Uh, it's so much fun to be on with you. Thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate you, my friend. You're the best. I can't wait to catch up soon. Take care.
3: Thanks, pal. Good night.
1: See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry. P-A-T-R-I. TomPatry.com is the site and a lot of great content on there, folks. It's not too late to sign up and get some lessons from him. Tom's still down there in in Naples, Florida, as you heard. Weather's beautiful. Tom is great. And the instruction is going to make your game a heck of a lot better. So please go see him and try to make arrangements, like I say, either through his website or reaching out directly to Tom. If you've got a question or a concern you want me to get to Tom, and uh, and try to help facilitate that. You can find me on Facebook, on my Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at CTMascaro. And obviously, through nextontheT.net, you can get us through our Contact Us page there as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for uh, for taking time to, and listening to this show tonight. It's time to put a bow on it. My thanks to Mark Wiebe, Andy Lano, and of course, Tom Patrick for being here. Our website is nextontheT.net. You're going to be able to keep up to date with what's going on with the show and our guest schedule as well. Plus, we've got good links so you can stream the show from there. But uh, you can find us all over the net. We're on great podcasting sites like podcast.co, Podbean, Launchpad, DM, Spotify, iHeart, you know, We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Player.fm. If you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're most likely on it. And folks, I can't thank you enough. For being a part of the show and coming back and uh, and uh taking a listen tonight. Uh we appreciate you guys the very most. Until next week. Hit 'em straight, my friend.